0: This is the business of sports. The International Olympic Committee is facing a crisis. Which sport would you point to and say, put your money here? Where the money is flowing inside sports around the globe. Has NASCAR's business engine lost some horsepower? Now I'm paying 5 or 10% what I used to pay to buy the whole team. Michael Barr, nothing like a cheap hot dog, which is what you should get. Scott Soshnank. How
2: do you put your brand outside of the United States? How do you capture fans around the world? Bloomberg Business of sports on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Hello, I'm Michael Barr, along with my partner,
2: Scott Soshnik, and our special guest host this week, Evan Noby-Williams. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk with some of the most powerful people in the industry.
3: Today, we talk with Bob Bowman, president of business and media for Major League Baseball.
1: Our job is to make sure the technology in the parks is keeps up or is accelerates in front of what you can do on your couch. One of the reasons why four or five years ago, we started, wi- quote, wiring our stadiums for Wi-Fi and uh, for uh, DAS.
0: We'll bring you more of our interview with Major League Baseball's Bob Bowman in a few minutes. But first, let's look at some of the top business stories in sports in the week. Sticking with baseball, no Dodgers starting in the All-Star Game. Now, why this is very important, especially for the business of sports, a lot of people in Los Angeles may tune out of the All-Star Game, and that could mean down ratings in L.A.
2: Well, greetings from L.A., Mr. Barr. I'm looking at the Santa Monica Mountains right now, and yeah, the team has made this an issue. They have the best team in baseball, and Kenley Jansen, the team's closer, he came out and said this the other day. Quote, I'll say it loud and clear again, it's the Dodgers' fans' fault. Pointing the finger of blame right at the fans of L.A., saying you don't support us enough. We have some great players. They do have four All-Stars but no starters, which means the fans didn't stuff the ballot box. They're not too happy about it.
3: But how big a deal is this, really? I mean, I assume there's one metric that the Guggenheim folks, Stan Kasten, Peter Goober, Mark Walter, that they care about, and that's the number in the wins column. And right now, this is a first-place team in the hardest division in baseball. Not having an all-star starter, obviously, is kind of a big deal, but... Does it really matter in in, in the long term, especially from a business standpoint for the Dodgers?
0: Well, another problem with that is that you have Clayton Kershaw, probably arguably the the most important pitcher in Major League Baseball today, but he's starting Sunday, so that means he won't even have a pitch thrown in the All-Star game.
3: But the All-Star game is never really about the, the best players in baseball. It's kind of a popularity contest, and obviously the voting kind of plays into that. The Dodgers, are they have possibly the NL Rookie of the Year, certainly the front runner for it, one of the best pitchers in baseball, another one of the best young stars in Corey Seager. The team is just fine.
2: I wonder, big picture, Edmund and Michael, is that TV deal again. They're blacked out in much of L.A. because of the TV deal. Is this a sign that perhaps not seeing the team on TV night in and night out is having an effect on the fan base? Are they tuning out the Dodgers? That's what I would worry about if I was a team executive.
0: Let's talk about soccer great Lionel Messi and his super-duper contract that he got. He's going to play out the remaining years of
2: his trophy-rich career at Barcelona.
3: $650,000 a week is not not a bad price to pay.
2: How many times have we heard it, usually from coaches and managers who want it, they never want to go into that last year of the deal because then you spend an entire season answering questions. Are you coming back? Why haven't you agreed to a deal? What's the problem? Is there a chance you'll leave? That's what they avoid. There's no distractions, no more questions. Lionel Messi will be playing for Barcelona for his entire Career. That's what they wanted to cement right here.
3: And from a fan perspective, this keeps that that Ronaldo-Messi rivalry going. We saw Cristiano Ronaldo extend with Real Madrid earlier this year. Uh, they're two of the best players, if not the two best players in soccer. They have been for a while now, and this ensures that we'll see them head to head, not only in the Champions League but in La Liga games for the next couple of years.
0: Let's talk about Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, and Snap. They are seeking online rights to video highlights. From next year's World Cup, soccer's most popular tournament, according to two people familiar with the matter, telling Bloomberg.
2: Yeah, let's talk about Facebook and soccer. They are all in on soccer. This comes right off a deal they cut with Fox and Facebook for the Champions League. So Facebook will be showing actual games in the knockout stage, in the quarterfinals as well. This is big because it's the world's most popular sport. What Facebook is trying to do, guys, is get people comfortable watching video on their platform, particularly live games. I would not be surprised if this becomes bigger, not just highlights, which is important because the World Cup is in Russia, so maybe the highlights are have added significance this time around, but they want live games on their platform. This is all part of the process in getting you, me, and kids comfortable watching on their platform.
3: Great news for Fox too. They paid $425 million for these rights and, and being able to make some seven figure deals with some of the, uh, the main social media networks is just another way to monetize the rights they paid for.
2: Okay, let's turn to this week's interview now with Bob Bowman. He's been baseball's president of business and media since 2014. He's charged with overseeing making money and media rights across baseball's array of assets. That includes MLB Advanced Media and of course MLB Network. Bowman also created BAM Tech, that's the $3.5 billion spinoff, which is now one-third owned by the Disney company. We visited his MLB Advanced Media offices right above the Chelsea Market in Manhattan, and here's our conversation. Bob, thank you for taking a few minutes to be with us.
1: Delighted to be here today. How are you?
2: Um, great, thank you. Every time I come here, though, I feel like I need to get a Fat Witch brownie. I mean, we're taping in Chelsea Market. How do you not go downstairs and just gorge on everything?
1: It's the old joke. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. If you want lunch, you can't get there till about three thirty or four unless you're willing to stand in line for thirty minutes. a major tenant, the president of major League baseball business and media, and you wait in line no, I don't go down till four o'clock
2: <laughs> <laughs> when they give away the freebies
1: well they don't give away anything free that's for sure but it's a it's a, a big tourist, two hundred thousand tourists a week walk through here so we have a lot of people which is why we put all the you know put the network in there and we do all sorts of branding down there to try and get People to download the app and stuff like that. There should be some turnstiles make it feel like home. That would be a good idea.
2: So president of business and media, which I don't understand because media is like the biggest business out there in sports these days, right?
1: It's interesting. You know, we're one of the few sports where getting people inside the stadium really matters. I mean, it matters to every sport in some level, but in terms of economics— you know, we, we make as almost as much, or if not just about as much, from fans entering the stadium as we do from our media media partners.
3: So as you talk about the importance of, of, of live attendance at games, to what extent do you worry that making the viewing experience better and better can cannibalize the calculus of going to the game versus watching it from your couch?
1: I think everyone worries about it, but for us, we have a really special... Uh, product. It is a time to relax and enjoy a, a great experience. You're usually outdoors. We have a few uh, covered stadiums, but you're usually outdoors. It's usually summer. You have time to talk to your friends and your relatives and your family. So it ha- we have a great family experience at our ballparks, and it's it's priced for families to go. Uh, and it's a pretty special moment. So I, I think that, you know, our, our job is to make sure the technology in the parks is, keeps up or is accelerates in front of what you can do on your couch. One of the reasons why four or five years ago we started, wi- quote, wiring our stadiums for Wi-Fi and uh, for uh, DAS.
2: I've heard some team presidents tell me they want to make the in-arena or in-stadium experience so good that even though those offerings are there, that folks don't want to use them. And the part they tell me is, think about Duke basketball section. I mean, that's a tech wheelhouse, right? Duke University students. And if you're watching a Duke game... Nobody's on their phone they're jumping up and down rooting for their team
1: they have they have specific assignments to do which is to make as much noise as they can exactly. but I think you know the president all oh, kidding aside the presidents who say that and the people who run the clubs who say they're absolutely right and it's exciting to be at a ballpark they really use the video boards well they tell you what's going on uh they obviously they use music and the, and these uh these p- the president's race in Washington is something to behold you don't see that every day at another at another sporting event so i think they do a really good job making it fun
2: and the the freeze this the freeze. freeze guy you it, you gotta have the i freeze. mean this really has become something i watched to see how he did or didn't it,
1: do. the freeze is pretty good for
2: those who don't know it's in atlanta
1: part, part of the new and, suntrust stadium right,
2: they and they have a fan running around the outfield track <laughs> and you have to go like three-quarters of the way around the state, and They give him a, a big head start <laughs> and then this guy dressed up in some costume, but he's a former college sprinter, I believe, has to go and catch him. Right. And twice I've seen the first guy fall flat on his face, right. which
1: everybody loves. But it's those types of things, I mean, all kidding aside, that they, they make these games fun and exciting. And plus, you know, if between innings that there is a break, people want to go get a soda or get a hot dog, they can do that too. Families really enjoy our baseball games. So, yeah, we, we obviously, our media is really important to us. Every, every entertainment property media is important. Uh, and so we worry about that a lot. But we also worry about, and the clubs worry about even more than we do, what goes on getting in, getting out of the game and what you see when you're there. It's pretty special.
2: Bob, we're hearing a lot about rights fees. You talk about traditional media now, and I know we're going to get to technology, but we hear about rights fees, escalation, escalation. Is there a bubble? Will the new tech companies uh, shatter that because it doesn't matter? Amazon wants in, Google wants in. You're part of the system that has to make the money. Is there concern that the ecosystem has changed to a point where these traditional companies say, oh, we got to pull the brakes a little bit? We can't continue to pay like this?
1: I think the most important thing that all of us focus on is making sure your games are distrib- distributed so your fans can enjoy the game they want on the device they want and, and how they want to do it. I mean, we still have a scheduled game. It's a live event. So you, if you're on the East Coast or really anywhere in local time, you're probably, that game's probably going to be live around 7:15. So we do sort of say, that's the time you have to watch, but we're trying to get to a spot that you can watch the game on any device you want. And I think the most important focus for us is really on the distribution of games and distributions changed. You know, just even 10 years ago, but certainly 20 years ago, everything sort of looked the same. It's sat on your wall. Uh, it was color. HD hadn't gotten around to it yet, and HD now has been a lot for done a lot of good things for live sports. Uh, and today, that's completely different. Distribution's completely different. You you mentioned some of the the more notable uh, digital players that are involved now, but there's you know there's tens and tens and dozens of others, uh, as well as all the traditional people who actually want linear rights as well as digital rights. So. I think for those with rights uh, that are trying to sell and and trying to create partnerships and things like that, I think it's a very different landscape, but it's hard to imagine a world in which there's four to five billion handsets, uh, that that is not a more lucrative world in the long run than one when it's prime time only on a device that sits on your wall. So
2: in the long run, then, is scalable media, I mean, I can sell a $1.99 app or highlight to somebody in Asia, is that the real money maker while the in arena in stadium and, and you said baseball more than others it's really important but just doing the quick back of napkin numbers and number of people out there i would think media is where the big money is going to
1: be over the long haul you, if you can talk to you know a billion fans every day you, you in theory you'll have a, a better economic situation than talking to your 500,000 You know, we're blessed with 500,000 fans who go to our our ballpark every day. Uh, But I think the great thing about our sport is you can focus on both. They're different strategies, different executions, and you can focus on both. But at the core, you know, there's two things. Make make sure people love coming to a game. We've talked about that. And also focus on distribution and who your partners are. Uh, And over the long run, at least we found this to be true here at MLB.com, the money will come. If you focus on distribution, build a great product – uh, make, sure, make sure people enjoy it when they watch it. I think the money follows it.
2: Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, was a guest on the show earlier, and he talked about trying to get millennials in the ballpark. I would think you have an idea of how millennials are thinking, what works because you're so surrounded by the technology of it all. How do you get millennials to buy tickets? What are they looking for? What do they want? How do you get them to spend money in your ballpark?
1: One thing we've noticed with our workforce here, which is significantly younger than I, is that when they go watch a baseball game or a sporting event live, they generally stand up and they generally, you know, drink. Not necessarily alcohol, but they're they're socializing. The, it isn't, they just don't socialize on their phone. And the theory behind that uh, is that they generally sometimes don't have cable. They still like live sports uh, and they want to do things with other people at a price they can afford. They're going to buy the beer anyway. So I think one thing we've done in baseball this year, and twenty-two teams have done it now, is this so-called millennial pass or ballpark pass, which follows the most successful business model there's out there, which is a subscription. So let's say Scott wants to go to the to a certain to a team's games in June, 15 home games, thirty dollars for fifteen home games, go anytime you want. No seat, standing room only. Go to a bar, go stand. Maybe you can maybe you can upgrade. We have a way to upgrade to a real seat when you get there. But you pick the day that's convenient for you. Don't try and organize your four friends and say, we're going to go June 7th and then find out, oh, suddenly you know Sally's got to work that day, so now we've got to find a fourth to fill it out. Millennials, and music has certainly proved this time and time again, millennials want to have the the right to say, I'm going to go when it's convenient for me, not when it's convenient for you. I want to listen to the songs that I'm playing, not the songs that you're playing. And I think that's what's really worked well. And so, so far we've, you know, we've sold over 500,000 tickets that way and it skews, you know, significantly younger than season tickets. It's 15 years on average younger than season tickets. The number one group buying it is 25 and 26 years old. So that's really a helpful way to get them to try it. They can, every one of their friends can buy, can afford it. And that way they can pick a day they can go. And if they only go three days, it's still a pretty good deal. Uh, if they can go seven days, it's even a better deal. But they, it really isn't, the price has to be low enough to be affordable in our view and 29 bucks, 30 bucks seems to be a good price. And it has to be, you know, pick a game. You know, it isn't Monday games, it isn't Tuesday games, is you choose the game. And I think, you know, some clubs have tried it, they've sold out right away. So that's one way we're trying to do it. And I think it's so far the early returns are pretty good.
3: As the millennial sitting here, that brings totally. Whoa, whoa, true. Whoa. Why did he do whoa. that to us? <laughs> whoa. This <laughs> <laughs> is it so obvious. Sorry guys. <laughs> this is radio. Nobody
1: knows. <laughs> you could have kept that a secret. Go ahead. Fine. Oh,
3: I've been to three baseball games this year. All three of them I bought within twenty four hours of the game starting. I probably spent a total of 20 minutes in my seat, if that, total. Standing room only is the area we congregate in. My friends and I essentially buy the cheapest tickets we can and then congregate there. We're drinking beer or otherwise kind of throughout the game. And what happens during the game is kind of not an afterthought. I won't go that far, but we like to watch what's going on. But it's more of a conversation between all of us. We like to stand around a table Look at each other. I think what you're saying is exactly right. That kind of millennial package seems like it would work.
1: When, when I was growing up, we sat and you know we still went with friends. We sat in the bleachers and we sat next to each other and we we you know, drank our soda, and and we just enjoyed each other's company. It was the three of us and we three or four of us and we stood there. But today's millennials, today's youth are just different. They want to stand. They want to stand. They're used to standing more so than we. They want to walk. They they walk around, and I think it's I think it's really going to be helpful to us to get younger people to a ballpark and you know go to our first comment. Once you go to a ballpark, even if you're sort of splitting your time between your friends, you know the bar, the bar TV, or the ball game. You know, even though you're splitting your time, you watch a little of the ball game. You go, this is a pretty cool experience, and particularly for parks that are. You know, near uh, a massive population, either through public transit or just because they're downtown or something, those parks are really well suited to to draw in the young people.
3: One thing I keep coming back to is how expensive the entire experience is. You factor in the ticket, the price of two beers, if you get something to eat. I mean, you're talking about a lot of money just to go. Have you followed what's going on in Atlanta with the with their football team and their small pr- the, the the community pricing yeah, the in community the pricing that they're doing?
1: It's all interesting. Yeah, I have followed a little bit. I know what I've read. But it's interesting, and I think you'll see other you know, stadiums and baseball teams trying to experiment with that too in terms of trying to make sure it's it, – it, certainly as a sport, we're the most affordable of all sports. And so it, it from a family point of view, it works out well that way. From a millennial point of, millennial point of view, you're right. If you start spending 8 $9 for a drink or, or whatever, or even $5 for soda, it can add up. And, and millennials are very price conscious. I mean Reed Hastings doing Netflix at $8 was genius. That's the perfect spot where you can afford it. But if you don't use it, you don't get rid of it because it's only eight bucks. I mean, he was really smart, I think, and, and, and price really matters. It used to just be, again, the product all looked the same. It was on TV, and there was no individual pricing, no a la carte pricing. But there is today, and millennials have driven that. Bob, what are the other pillars that are going on right now? What are these cornerstones
2: of the revenue drivers for baseball?
1: Well, I think, again, using the long term, Approach. You you look at what the commissioners done. Commissioner Manfred's done. He's made one of his mantras. You know, youth and not not millennial youth. Not pay us today. And it's all about economics. It is get youth involved in baseball. There's another study out there that shows that if you played baseball, in any in any fashion, whether it's you know whether it's stickball, whether it's wiffle ball, whether it's you know the baseball that maybe Little League has, or whether it's softball. Uh, that you're more likely to be a fan and and that just doesn't happen by accident necessarily. Good
2: news on youth participation was up this year. Youth after,
1: participation's yeah. up in, in, in measuring both boys and girls and and I guess men and women playing playing baseball. Uh, it's a great game and it's a game that you know the youth really like and parents really like and it works out well. But nothing happens by accident in, a, in an attention-starved environment. You know, People have a million things to do, and I'm not exaggerating. And so if you want them to commit to baseball, I think what Commissioner decided is he has to commit to baseball. He has to make sure it's important because everyone else realizes it's important Then all of us who work in baseball, all the cl- owners and things like that. So I think that's, that's one of the pillars is make sure, again, we're playing the long ball, no pun intended, that it isn't just trying to optimize or get the most money today. It is trying to plant the seeds and lots of seeds in lots of places for tomorrow's game, and, and it, it's it's it, you know incumbent upon us to recognize we're temporary stewards and, and getting the youth. And by this, I mean I don't mean millennials. I don't mean that people as old as he is. I mean you know, the real youth. You know, six to twelve years olds playing playing baseball.
2: Yeah, my son is eight, and it's the phone is everything. Dad, check the weather. Dad, check the score. Dad, I want to watch the video. Everything is the phone. It's mobile. That's well, he wants it on the go, which brings us to another of Commissioner Manfred's possible mantras: sports betting. He said it's something he'd like to consider putting in line with Adam Silver. Seems to me that the marriage of baseball and the engagement of sort of a live betting is a win-win. Certainly, the money is out there. You have you as as the guy in charge of revenue, you have to say there's a whole pool of money out there for us. How do we get
1: it? I'd say a couple of things. One is as you as you correctly noted, we have a commissioner now who is you know, willing to look at everything and, and the, the old saws or the old theories, you know, are worth a reexamination. And that's a, that's a really good news for those of us who work in baseball, but I think it's good news for the people who are fans of baseball, that, that something that's always been this way may not stay that way. And I think that's good. Second of all, as it relates narrowly to this issue, we have a lot of advantages by having a daily game because we, because we play every day, we have live, we have live events, 15 of them. So we have almost 45 hours of live content every day. And whether that's good for media in a traditional sense or whether that's good for media in a digital sense or international, however you want to look at it, it's certainly not going to be – it certainly will lend itself well if we ever get to a spot where, you know, certainly legalized sports betting becomes more prominent than just in, uh, just in Las Vegas. Whether or not it will, you know, your guess is probably better than mine. Uh, but if it does, certainly we have a game that, you know, that, that – you know, with a daily game, there's certainly more opportunity there. And internationally, they do, there's a lot of uh, betting that goes on baseball because it's daily.
2: And international baseball opportunity, obviously big. T- tell me about what baseball is doing around the world to drive revenue. Well,
1: yeah, Tony Petiti really heads it up, but he's, and they've done a, it's, it's, you know, I've been here for 17 years now. And it's night and day compared to what was happening and what is happening. You know, whether you look at the exhibition games in Mexico, uh, what ultimately will be hopefully a real you know real season game, whether you look at London, where we're going to have London games, whether you look at the Cuba trip, whether you look at the Puerto Rican games. You know, we're playing a lot of baseball outside this country, which is what you have to do. Again, things don't happen by accidents. If you want something to happen, you have to show them you're willing to invest both the time and the money uh, to make it happen, and, and those things are going on. We have a great game, an easy game to understand. You know, you pitch the ball, you hit the ball. Uh, so it's pretty straightforward. Well, pulled. that's what
2: they do in cricket, and I can't understand it. it, it
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, it's it, you can understand that a hit's better than not a hit, right? That's, okay, that's, so right. That, that's fundamentally it, and and so I think you're gonna again, I think that the theme you you you're gonna see is things that things that haven't been done before. It isn't why; it's more why not.
3: What's your biggest growth market internationally?
1: Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, we're pretty we're it, it's we're pretty strong in Asia, so you think it might it might be that even though we're pretty strong, Europe certainly is one that's more uh m- more developing. But if you go to Mexico down to Central America, where they play a lot of baseball and love baseball, you'd have to think have a middle class. They have pro leagues. You'd have to think that is probably a pretty good near term market for mm-hmm. us. Bob, retail. We have an investment in fanatics.
2: Now, these leagues are becoming almost like uh, venture capitalists. <laughs> There's this lots going. On. I mean, with BAM, BAM Tech, this is the world we live. It's not just games anymore. What do your owners? ask of you and the commissioner what do they want for their franchises for the for the sport of baseball
1: well the owners are, they're no different than the rest of us they they're in for the long pole they're different than me uh, well, they, they... <laughs> the, yes,
2: they are. They make much more money than I do. Yeah,
1: there's that. Okay, fair point. Um, but they're in it for the long haul. And they they want to win the World Series. They want to win baseball games. But they're also almost all of them successful. All of them are successful business. How players. many of them would consider it a successful season if they won the
3: World
2: Series but lost fifty million dollars?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I there might be some. I don't know. Prob- I don't know how many there would be. Like once, maybe once. Yeah, they, maybe they win
2: one. once and never again. Get
1: the get the the get seven money. get the seven pound ring and then move right. on. So I've checked that box pretty exciting to win a world series i'll say that much i would guess the uh, but i think they're all you know they're all successful business people uh, they all understand sort of the media and where the world's going and there's there's no remedial classes they're all educated they know exactly what they want to do and most of them if not all of them are doing it at the club level they have they have their own mini content machines each individual club so i think they they get it and they they understand it in terms of investments um the simple fact is i think they also understand equity in long-term value. That's how they all built their business. They they while everyone has to pay the bills, most every one of these successful business owners has built a business that has massive equity value. So they understand that. And while we can't do it in every instance, I think that's what that was the sort of the theory behind BAM Tech. It is the theory behind trying to get more involved in retail. Uh, that we are selling our property and our brand and our marks. Maybe we should get more involved instead of just letting third parties manage everything. So I think this is what we're trying to do. Uh, we'll see how that turns out over the next four or five years.
2: Does anybody buy a team just to own a team anymore? I see them as 10 poles to media plays. I see real estate plays. The Dodgers are both. Can you, at $1.2.3 billion, whatever the, the valuation is these days, can you buy a team just to have a team?
1: Well, I think I- I'm sure you can. But I don't think any of the, the, the 30 owners I know fully understand that this team is, you know, it, it's wins and losses. They play every day, but they fully understand that there is a lot more value uh, than, just, than just the live sporting event, that these media rights, particularly live rights that, that will have, you know, have a disappearing value after the game is over, they understand how to optimize that value. And I would say that the owners' meetings are pretty invigorating in the sense that you better bring your A game because these owners know what they're doing.
3: You've talked a bit about how different younger generations interact with the game from an ownership standpoint as your owners get incrementally younger year after year. Do you sense a difference between your older ownership groups and your younger in terms of their business goals, their aspirations?
1: Not really. I think they all would like to win the World Series, but they all understand the long-run nature of their business and how and how they have to optimize the ballpark experience, the media experience, to make sure that their fans our fans in the good times, for sure, but also so sort of the leaner times, because they understand that they're all they're all just one pitcher or one hitter away from you know being five hundred versus being five fifty or five seventy and winning the division.
2: What's the best idea we haven't seen yet?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I it probably we probably haven't thought of it yet. I was waiting for you to say that's that's a question for somebody else. <laughs> that's probably a question for somebody else too. I, you know, I'll tell you, uh, it, it's interesting. You know, you, you work in a building like this with six seven hundred people, all of whom are younger than you. Uh, younger than I am, and young, younger than, than all of us, and they constantly are challenging the status quo. And I think the one thing that we're, we're thinking about is this ballpark pass I mentioned earlier is doing so well. Is there a subscription business that we haven't thought of yet uh, that we should be? And I because I think the millennials really like the notion: one price per month, use it as much as you want. Uh, it's sort of the you know the, the banquet approach: just one, pay your price and eat as much as you want.
2: Bob Bowman, president of business and media, Major League Baseball. Thanks so much, Bob.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
2: And Evan, I can't help but think about Bowman maybe five, ten years ago. Because it's a completely different ballgame now. Who could think about subscription services and pay one price? It's just not the way things used to be done.
3: Exactly, and he's being smart about where baseball is. If you look at the demographics of TV viewers, for example, baseball's average age is 57. That's 15 years higher than the NBA's average age of viewer. So this is a problem that exists in every sport, but baseball is a little bit more specific.
2: Yeah, so it's not only what do advertisers want. They love that demo of 18 to 34, so they're far outside that demo on TV. But you have to meet the customers where they are these days. And that means you better give them some sort of project on their mobile phones, on their tablets. How can baseball be cool to millennials? And even Bob said it, it may not be the sport. They may not go to the stadium to watch the baseball game per se. But they want to be at the stadium to have an experience. And if going to the stadium is the experience, the way they can bring them in is to give them a standing room-only bar section over the right field wall, so be it.
3: Exactly. You heard him say it himself. Baseball has eighty-two home game, 81 home games. There's a lot more impetus to get people into the ballpark than there is for an NFL team that has eight home games.
2: All right, well, that's eight home games. Let's get to our stat of the week. How about... $99 million. That is our number and our stat of the week. Eben, you know what I'm talking about when I, I, I say exactly.
3: $99 million? LeBron James also knows what you're talking about. Yeah,
2: LeBron certainly knows. That is the NBA salary cap that recently came out and usually takes a while. The union and the league fight about what counts as revenue because we all know the cap is just a portion of league-wide revenue. So they fight for a while, then they come up with this number. Actually, a couple of million dollars lower Mm -hmm. than what general managers thought it would be. So that would re, re trigger some calculations when it comes to free agent signings. But the bigger picture, when you're talking about a cap of 99 million and you're talking about the max contracts that these players can get. This is what Steph Curry is basing his ultimate number on. He's going to be the NBA's first $200 million man.
3: And this is also why LeBron James, when he came back to Cleveland, only signed a two-year deal so that he could have access to the higher salary cap at a shorter window. And again, why he signed a two-year extension instead of something longer. He knows this number is going to go up. The TV revenue that the league signed is finally pouring in. The number is going to go even higher after this year. Uh, And when LeBron James is a free agent after next year, he's free to negotiate an even bigger one. So sure, Steph Curry is the highest-paid player now. That will probably change in the offseason next year when LeBron gets his money.
2: There's a reason why we keep having these media executives on our show. This is where the money comes from.
3: You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio Around the World. I'm Eben Novi williams
2: And I'm Scott Soschnick. Thanks for joining us. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports.